Hey, Brock, how are you? Doing well, John. How are you? Pretty good. I uh, I want to talk. To, I want to talk about shoes and summer style, and then we'll be catching up with uh, Carl Kozak in the interview today with uh, the founder of Core Essentials. Sounds good. Well, first, I thought we were going for long hair. You put up a video where you have much shorter hair, and I was like, "All right, Brock and I are growing our hair out." <laughs> yeah, sorry, man. I, I'm all about the solidarity, but uh, yeah, I I had to cut it. It's, you know, long hair is fun, and I think it looks cool, um, kind of sets you apart. But at the end of the day, it's just not practical for for me for uh, the type of workouts that I do and also living in the southwest United States. It's just too hot. Mm. You also, I end up using a lot more product when I have long hair, so you end up churning through more gel and everything else. Yeah, and you know, showers take longer, and if you shower before bed, like your hair is wet, it takes forever to dry, and so it's it's just really not practical. And maybe it gets to a certain length where it becomes more practical again. Like I don't know if you could put it in a man bun or something, but I just I wasn't willing to go through it. Mm, now I'm gonna call my barber and chop this mop. Yeah, man, I'm I'm liking the short hair. It's actually funny. I put up a little video of my new haircut and like. It's divisive, man. Some people hate it. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Well, everybody, what I've learned is that everybody has their like ideal of us because they form their you know ideals based on our videos. And then if you change it, it throws everything out of whack. Exactly. Yeah. You can't, can't please everybody. So plus I think I just, I want to experiment with different things. You know, I think that's, I think we both do when it comes to like brands and you know, style and hairstyles and grooming products, and that's part of it. I've had a haircut. I've had a haircut for a long time. I want to try something different just to show people, hey, this is what this kind of hairstyle looks like. Or, you know, now I can try a bunch of different products because you can only do so much with really long hair. Like you can't use clays and putties and stuff like that. So, yeah, I think I think change is a good thing. Yeah, we're the style crash test dummies. Exactly. What are your thoughts about the uh, summer shoes and suits and all, and all that? I'm good. Have you been getting a lot of questions about that as, as the weather heats up? Yeah, usually it's about shorts. I have an idea for a shorts video, but then also, like to me, there's like three silhouettes for summer shoes that every guy needs or every guy should have one of. To me, it you know it's like the boat shoe. I think everybody either already does or should have a boat shoe, whether it's a Sperry or any other brand. And then maybe like a like a loafer, and then like a white sneaker. I don't. What do you think about that? Yeah, that's that's pretty much it for me too. Yeah, especially if you're wearing shorts. I think certain like boots can can be worn all summer, uh, especially like at night when you might still be wearing pants. Like uh, a suede desert boot, I think is a great summer boot, or even like a suede Chelsea boot. But yeah, in terms of wearing shorts, I'd say boat shoes, a loafer, just a little dressier, and then, yeah, like a white sneaker, which could be totally plain white or could be, you know, Nike Kill Shots or Onitsuka Tigers or something like that. So whatever you like. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. A nice light desert chukka. Hmm. Yeah, I think that I think that can be worn pretty much all summer, especially suede. I don't know. There's something about suede that just seems good for you know spring summer but yeah. you know then there's then there's other stuff i mean there's espadrilles and 
sandals and you know there's all kinds of stuff so um, I think you can expand a little bit if, if you're so inclined yeah I guess in my ideal summer I'm always wearing shorts but you have to be ready for when you're wearing pants pants to the office pants other places yeah, yeah, I know summer weddings. I mean, there's always a bunch of weddings in the summer, so got to figure out a way to uh, stay cool while still being dressed up. You know, you can't wear shorts to the wedding, obviously. Yeah, that's true. Are you are you pretty like um, if you're going to a wedding, you're wearing a tie and a jacket, and what's what's your wedding? Let's we'll stick with summer wedding for now. Uh, what's your thoughts there? Yeah, I'm going to one next week. Actually, it's I I think with wedding style you should first of all figure out what the dress code is and stick to it you know if it's a casual wedding um and no one's going to be wearing a tie you you shouldn't wear a tie uh, i think a lot of people especially guys who are kind of into style or maybe just getting into it go a little overboard um your, your goal to wedding isn't to be noticed you know it's it's for the groom and the bride to be noticed so yeah i think I think toning it down a little bit is okay at a wedding. I mean, yeah, you know, wear a nice suit, make sure it fits. Um, maybe a couple of cool accessories, but like, don't go crazy. So everybody's like, wow, who's that dandy? You know, <laughs> like, you're just going to steal the attention away from other people, like the wedding party. So yeah, I think, I think a suit, um, like for this wedding I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to go with a, uh, either a navy or gray um, linen or like a tropical wool, you know, like a wool blend kind of lightweight since it will be probably kind of hot out. Um, and then it's a formal wedding, so I'll, I'll wear a tie. Um, uh, Oxfords, you know, and probably a, a watch and, you know, pocket square, but I'm not going to do like the tie bar and lapel flower and like all that stuff. Yeah, my uh, my brother had just asked me, he's going to a wedding, and it, it really does come down to, I think the easiest one is just location. Is it... Um, is it an outdoor wedding or, you know, in his case, it was at the local, um, like history center. They, they have a really nice like banquet room. And I was like, yes, you, you are absolutely <laughs> definitely wear your suit, definitely wear a nice subtle tie, but, uh, don't, don't go too overboard. So yeah, very true. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, you know, if it's in a, if it's in a church versus like a garden or something that obviously, um, influences it. But then there's also, I found that like, Usually the bride has like a vision for you know for this wedding, and sometimes it's hard to decode the uh, the the dress code from the invitation. Um, but yeah, you can usually kind of find out what what the dress code is. You know, I mean, some weddings these days are super casual, and some are like grooms in a black tux, brides in a white full length gown. And in that case, you should probably dress accordingly. Yeah, my summer, I have a pair of loafers of uh, brown loafers that are like my summer wedding shoes because they're not too dressy, but they're comfortable. I can go sockless. We wear them with pants and they look great. And so, nice. yeah, summer shoes, summer weddings, looking forward to it. Yeah, man. It's wedding season. Yeah, it absolutely is. <laughs> I know. I, not just now, but I'm also getting invitations for like some of the fall weddings and the summer stuff. And so. Definitely summer season. And then I sent you that screenshot. It's definitely prom season too. The tux, tux rentals are spiking. and I'm seeing black tux ads everywhere. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I actually just got a, uh inquiry from um, some, some I guess, new brand. Maybe, I think they're new. They're called Generation Tux. Is that the one that's, uh, that was started by the founder of Men's Warehouse? 
Yes, yeah, is it George Zimmerman? Yeah, that guy is crazy. I'm. The, he gave a speech at a WWD event. So WWD is like the rag of the industry in in fashion and retail. And um, mm-hmm. he had been ousted from Men's Warehouse, and he was doing a talk at the WWD conference the next day. And he just, I guess they didn't have him sign any paperwork because he laid into them pretty hard. And uh, wow. that's that's pretty cool that he's taking on the company that he started 30 years ago. Yeah, he he seems. He seems pretty cool, actually. I mean, I don't really know too much about him, but I thought he had started. I don't know if he has multiple companies going on now, but I I thought that when he left Men's Warehouse, he had started a mobile tailoring company. I I think I remember correctly, it was called like Z Tailor or something like that, and I thought it was going to be some sort of mobile alterations tailoring company. But but yeah, now he's got this tuxedo rental, which I haven't tried yet, but um. Yeah, it seems like an interesting. I mean, this this whole idea of like better tuxedo rental, it's it's very intriguing because you know when I think of renting a tux, as as most of us have had to at one point for someone's wedding, maybe if you're in the wedding party, and you have to go to like David's Bridal or uh, Men's Warehouse and rent a tux. I mean, especially if you're a hard to fit body type like us, it doesn't turn out well, you know. Yeah, and some of the comments on my tux video, people said, "Why don't I just buy one?" But when you're in these wedding parties they have a look, you know, you have to, sometimes it's a different lapel. Sometimes, you know, they, they want the, um, the stripe on the side for the tux pants. Sometimes they don't. And so it makes it, it makes it tough overall. And then you're putting out 200 to $300 for a rental and, uh, just right. to get that little bit of better fit, totally, totally worth it. So we'll have to get George Zimmerman on the podcast, talk about his new, his new venture. There you go. Yeah, just just let him go wild. No contracts. <laughs> I want. I mean, that's, I'm I'm super interested in some of the stuff that he talked about in that speech, which is like the future of retail and how these companies are going to compete with the new ones. And so, well, cool. I feel pretty. I feel like we covered summer uh, stuff there. So we'll we'll jump over to Carl Kozak. He does the track line belts. He's one of the companies that are doing this kind of ratchet belt technology, and then he's also going into some other cool stuff, which. We talked about it, but he can't really reveal it. But we'll uh, we'll jump over and, and find out a little bit more about Carl. All right, so today we have Carl Kozak, who is the founder of Core Essentials and the number one men's accessories Kickstarter of all time. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, we're the number one for men's accessories. Yes, that's true. Great. What is what is Core today as you see it? Because I know you've kind of evolved through uh, as you've been producing your, your newest product. So kind of for, for anybody who doesn't know core, what is, what is core essentials? Well, core essentials started out as a, a track line belt back in 2013 with our, you know, track style belt, no holes belt with a ratcheting mechanism and it gave guys a, a much better fit and, and some better styling and just a belt that lasts longer and fits better. And then we've kind of evolved now slowly towards um, more men's accessories. And I know we've just got the, a couple wallets right now, but on the, on the table right here, Behind the scenes, we have several other men's accessories products that we're working at that we'll be debuting soon. So we're kind of evolving into kind of a more of a man's accessories company. And you do mainly direct-to-consumer? Yeah, right now we do primarily all – well, that's not entirely true. We do have a handful of stores here and there, and people – store owners do call in and order, but most of our sales are direct. Yeah, that's kind of the way we prefer it anyway. Okay, great. I think that's, that's, that's certainly the future. Uh, so then yeah. – so Carl, for for yourself, uh, where did you where did you start? Where did you grow up, and kind of what was your your path to to today? 
Well, I kind of consider myself an entrepreneur because I've, I've been involved in a number of different startups and businesses over the years. I grew up back east and moved to California when I was a teenager and um, went to school on the West Coast and the East Coast. So I, I kind of moved around quite a bit when I was younger. My dad was in the Navy and stuff. So we did move quite a bit and I had to always make new friends, always going to new schools. It kind of taught me to adapt to new situations, I think, you know, to a certain degree. And um, I finished at San Diego State University with a degree in economics. And uh, after a, a kind of a short career in sales, I moved over and met some guys that had been starting a, uh, a sporting goods business and had some new training devices. And I kind of learned from them how to run a company and how to kind of be an entrepreneur and the things that you had to look out for. And I kind of evolved initially that way. That was my kind of start. Very cool. Do you think, so you were, you're yeah. from the East, you went out to the West. Do you think the, the, the California specifically has more of a uh, entrepreneurial spirit encourages that type of development? It, it seems that way. I don't know. That's kind of a hard, I've never thought about that before. I, I, I don't know. I, I can't really say with any certainty. I mean, for me, maybe just because like I said, I, I moved around, I had to adapt. And, and to me, I just always thought as a kid, I remember thinking at a young age and being in my teens, that I just didn't want to work for a big company, you know, put in 30 years, do the same thing and then retire. To me, that just sounded too, I don't know, just, it didn't sound like any fun or excitement in that. And it just sounded like too mundane and it wasn't stimulating enough. I wanted to do something more adventurous. So entrepreneurship is of course an adventure. And it just says, I don't know, it's for me, it's made more sense for my personality. West coast and East coast, hard to say. I mean, a lot of my friends on the East coast, education, I think, is almost bigger on the East Coast to some degree, maybe just because some of the schools are, Ivy League schools have been around longer and people tend to think about that more. You know, they're, they're kind of in your face there. And so people, they aspire to things on Wall Street or with bigger companies and things like that. California can be a little laid back at times, but there's there's benefits to both, I guess, right? To both. Yeah. So, yeah. so Carl, you're running, uh, co co-running the sporting goods company and learning about business and entrepreneurship. What happened between then and Core Essentials, how how'd you get here? Well, I'll try to condense it because it's it's a long path. But I was with the sporting goods company for a couple of years, and we did a number of a lot of baseball stuff. I signed Tony Gwynn to a contract, like to represent the company. He was our spokesperson, and we I learned a lot there. I learned a lot about manufacturing, marketing, you know, kind of all around all the different things you needed to do and how many hats you needed to wear to make it work and. You know, just a lot of different lessons I hadn't really thought about that they don't really teach at school. So from there, I was I ended up publishing a national sports magazine that I launched for collectibles, baseball-oriented stuff. And I did that for a couple of years. I sold that. I ended up starting a travel, uh, an online travel business in '94. Uh, I was actually the internet's first like travel commercial travel type site, believe it or not. And a buddy of mine who was at Harvard at the time called me and said, hey, you should check out this thing called the Information Superhighway. <laughs> you know, and I, I, I did. It took a long time to get on and actually see it. No one really was aware of it. I remember initially thinking I would do something like Amazon, just sell certain things and open a marketplace there. But I couldn't get any money for it. I couldn't, I couldn't raise any money because, well, I had no experience really raising money prior to that. And I couldn't show anyone. I could, it's, you know, today you'd walk into and show someone on your laptop or tablet or presentation. There was no internet. Nobody had the internet. I, no one had email. No one knew what the internet was. A lot of people told me, they looked at me sideways like, are you crazy? And just, oh, this will go away. It's just a passing fad. And you couldn't show anyone what you were talking about. And there, you know, people can't envision what was, I just saw something that I thought, wow, even in its early infancy stages, I thought 
this is going to be great. It's got a lot of information. You're bringing it right to someone's desktop. I, I of course, couldn't foresee all the things that have transpired since then, but I knew it was going to be something great, and it was getting a little faster each month. And that was through, like, AOL and Prodigy, right? So mm-hmm. I launched Travelsource.com. It was the on Yahoo, which wasn't even a search engine at the time, which was just a directory. We were the only commercial travel site of any kind for the first close to a year. So um, I just didn't have enough cash to really make that work. I ended up selling that uh, and going into the movie business because that's kind of what I wanted to do at that time. And I ended up getting into uh, filmmaking, writing, and directing, and I did a number of independent films. And shortly thereafter, I started the Sandy. I founded the San Diego Film Festival which is still going today. I think they're in their 15th or 16th year. And my wife and I ran that for 10 years as well while I was making movies. And um, after that, I, uh, or around that same time, I was just deciding that maybe I'd get out of the independent film business because it's just like you're employed, you're unemployed, you're employed, you're unemployed. It's just a tough business for different reasons. And I, I wasn't that good at it. I was just okay at it. And so somebody showed me a 3D camera system that they'd handmade, a friend of mine, in the movie business and um I, the light went on i thought wow 3d this 3d thing i think is going to be really big so i ended up getting into designing and manufacturing 3d camera systems and actually it did do really well for a while if you remember the 3d thing a couple of years back was really big it really spiked for a while and we were selling a lot of 3d camera systems to disney espn all kinds of companies a lot of independent film producers and it was going to be used for tv but that didn't take off like, like people thought and i kind of saw the writing on the wall and one day, my we were going to start making some of these systems in um, in Asia. And if one of my partners came back from Asia, and we were talking about how it was just a bad timing, and the kind of the market was going to peak, and it already kind of crested and was heading downward, I think. And he showed me his belt that he had on, and it had a track system on the back of it, but the buckle was really kind of obnoxious looking, and the mechanism on the back um, was just too bulky and had a magnetic system. And so I thought, I really love the track. I love what it's doing. I think it could be really big here, but we need to redesign the buckle. Something has to be done about the mechanism. And of course, the face obviously is not kind of American style. It's more of an Asian style buckle. So that wasn't a big deal. But the back of the mechanism, we spent a year just taking everything off and redesigning the buckle. We're the only company out there that has patents. We have several patents on the buckle mechanism. And we just did kind of a redesign and launched the company on Kickstarter in 2013. What made you go straight to Kickstarter instead of trying to, I don't know, fund it yourself and then uh, try and launch your own website? I mean, what was the thinking behind that? Well, at the time, my 3D company was still doing fairly well. And I just, but I saw, like I said, I saw the writing on the wall that it wasn't going to do well in the next year or two. It was going to start to fade just because the market was fading. The whole the industry was fading in that area. But anyway, I just thought uh, someone had suggested Kickstarter. I, at the time, I wasn't familiar with it. This was in late 2012. I just took a look at it. I thought, wow, what a fabulous tool. I wish I had this when I was an entrepreneur earlier on, right, to raise money and test something. Not only are you raising money, but you're kind of test marketing something before you actually go out and make it. So if no one wants to buy the product, you don't go running off and investing lots of money and time and making this product. You know, you can actually see if the public wants it. And if you have a product like we did with four different styles, for example, you can test which one's the most popular, assuming it's it's a it's a viable product. So Kickstarter just seemed to make sense. You know, you just had to put up very little money and people would pre-buy something. Um, and I thought it was just a great a great vehicle to do that. We were kind of apprehensive, of course, doing it. We put together the best video we could. I didn't want to make it look too polished because it's Kickstarter. You're asking for money. 
you're asking for people to get involved. And that was in May of 2013. And within 30 days, we'd sold a little over $300,000 worth. So we knew, obviously, we had something that was successful. We didn't really even, all we did was put the product up and the video up. We didn't really know how to market it very well. I mean, it's because it didn't, I didn't really know where to go with it. And within the first 24 hours, we had $10,000 in sales. I think. So we knew it was something yeah, that people were interested in. I'm, I'm curious about that because at this point, you know, Kickstarter, Kickstarter marketing is a whole industry in and of itself, and it's so competitive. And, you know, so how, how did you go from, you know, struggling to raise money for an Internet travel company to the most funded men's accessory Kickstarter campaign, uh, you know, to date? Well, I think the difference is, you know, there were many, many years, obviously, between those two points um, in my life, but you know, at least 15 years or more. But I think that the key for the, the, our belts was just the product is so good. I mean, the, over, the response to them is overwhelming. It still is today. Every time we, you know, we give five-star responses, 10 to 12 a day. People come back to us like, thank you for making this. It's a great product. It's fabulous. My husband loves it. I love it. I'm buying more of them. I mean, just, it's, it's, it's that kind of response over and over again every day. You know, so it, that was the main thing. A lot of people approached me since then. And, and in 2013, you have to understand there weren't nearly as many uh, marketing avenues for Kickstarter. Now, when you put something up on Kickstarter, you're bombarded with people that want to, you know, charge you a fee to, to, to get people to come and see your product. So there wasn't that kind of sensation with it. But in 2013, um, you know, when we launched it, people just loved the product. And that was, you know, when people approached me asking me, how can I get to where you're at? And I would look at some of their stuff. I'd think, well, your product's not that good. You know, I'm sorry. I just, it's just not, people aren't going to respond to it. So it doesn't matter what you do. It's, you're just not going to have a success with it. So that's, I think that's the number one thing, right? You know? Yeah, it makes sense. But, and now, now these days you see, uh, you know, a few other brands doing some form of, you know, belt with no holes or micro adjustable belt. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. And I do you think the there's just so much. I mean, there was, well, they were around for 20 years in Asia, and I was kind of like, why aren't they popular? Why why are they so popular in Asia and they haven't caught on here? Well, you know, the mechanism is really bulky on the back. That's a lot of buyers told me. Like Mission Belt, they have a really bulky magnetic uh, contraption on the back, and that's what I first saw. I could have marketed that from day one and beat them to market, but I didn't I didn't want to do that buckle. It buckle in the back to me doesn't make sense. The mechanism's too much. And I think for those kind of reasons, it, it wasn't as popular early on with American men. So I wanted to create something a little bit better. That's really where my, my head was. So I took the extra, you know, almost a year to, to fix it. Because once you go off and try to recreate something or create something better, you've got to prototype it, test it, you know, tweak it, test it again. And that just takes time. Every step takes a month or two, right? Yeah. Do you think that coming from outside the fashion industry helped you in a way? Because you didn't have sort of an expectation of, um, I don't know, you hadn't made accessories in the past. Do you think that helped you? Uh, possibly. I mean, it, it gave me a perspective. I always had a good eye for things that were going to be successful or popular. Uh, I always, that's one of my strengths. And when I, when I saw the 3d rigs, we became like the number one 3d, uh, independent 3d camera company competing with one or two other big companies, you know, that were doing it, but we, we still today are, uh, you know, we just sold some 3d camera systems last week to the university of Texas. So we're still pretty, people look to us for that. But with the with the belts and the accessories, I think maybe it was just I had a fresh eye for it. And luckily, it's not too fashion heavy. It really isn't, right? It's a belt. And 80% of men coming in want to buy a black belt. That's where yeah. they start at, right? And, so, and belts are pretty simple for guys. And I think if you get away from something that's, you know, we, we've tried some other styles, experimented with some stuff that wasn't too classic looking, and the, the, the demand just starts dropping greatly as you move away from that. You know, guys want yeah. something that's just 
subtle and understated. I know I've personally backed Kickstarters that have been uh, infinitely delayed. It seems like everything was smooth for you. Did you run into any you know, production issues or, or, or is there some sort of learning from Kickstarter that you had from your first run? Yeah, we did. We learned. We, we had a couple of hiccups here and there, of course. We've had and people in Kickstarter can be sometimes there, there, there's so many people coming in. Our last campaign did over you know, almost 600,000 and we had 7,000 backers. So a lot of people coming in were new to Kickstarter. They never done anything in Kickstarter. So they're like kind of like the day the campaign ends. Some people are like, where's my belt? You know, <laughs> you're like, well, wait a second. You know, you just you just pre-bought something really. Now we're going to go make it. and It's going to take a couple months if you read the updates or if you read anything about us. We're very, you know, you're very proud with that kind of stuff. But a lot of people don't understand it. So you're really trying to be realistic. And, you, and at the same time, you don't want to tell people it might take six months because that's not very fun to wait six months for anything, right? You know, so you're trying to balance it right there. Um, so we've, we've learned a lot in the past. I would say on the, on the last campaign, people were saying this is the best Kickstarter campaign. A couple people said it's the best Kickstarter campaign I've ever uh, participated in. And that was because we were really getting out front with the production and, the, and we started the production before the campaign was even over because we could see where the orders were going. We could kind of predict where we were going to be. So we're like, we might as well just get the order started, right? You know, we wanted to make extra anyway. We're not looking to, if we sell a thousand, we're not looking to make a thousand, right? We want to do extra. So let's just, we'll inflate it a bit and get going. And so that helps a lot when you're able to ship it out fast. That's a big thing for people and still maintain that quality and the, what the product should be. So you said in the beginning, you're, you're direct to consumer. You've got a few stores. I mean, where, where are you headed? You've got wallets coming and, and some other things. Kind of what are, you, what are you hoping to get out of, you know, what are your 2017 goals? Yeah, well, just to back up for a sec, yeah, the wallets, we just came out with two RFID protected wallets. And one of them is really, one's a bifolder, one's uh, more of a slim, smaller card wallet that holds money. It's, really, it's cool because it has a carbon fiber money clip that actually slides in and out of the wallet. So you can just take the carbon fiber money clip out by itself and use it. Um, and it's the only one of its kind. I haven't seen anything else that does that. And we actually have a patent pending on that, just a utility patent for, for that kind of purpose. Uh, but right now we're working on men's eyewear. And we actually have a new development in sunglasses. We, we were trying, you know, at core, we like to try to do something a little bit better. And we like to add a little bit of innovation to it and um, make something that's a little unique that you haven't seen before in the market, even if it's just something small. So we were sitting around trying to brainstorm what can we possibly do with sunglasses that haven't been done for guys, right? And we actually came up with something. I, I can't really reveal it to you right now, uh, but it's something interesting that you'll say, oh, that's nice. I, I kind of would like to have a pair of glasses that does that. And so that's what we, because we, we always try to make stuff that we would want to wear and we think is useful and, and practical and fashionable at the same time, like our belts, right? Everybody that, all the reviewers that get them, I'm, I'm often told even by reviewers, this is better than we thought it was going to be. You know, I did feel that way with the, the buckle. I was surprised at the sturdiness or heft of the, the buckle itself. Feels very feels very premium. Yes, and that's what we go for. That's what we're going for. We want to be kind of a premium thing. You know, we want to make the best buckle and um, the nicest belt. We're actually upgrading all of our belts this year. We're going through a process of taking it to the next level. So we're trying to we're trying to we're going to stand apart from everyone else in that regard. You know. Well, no, we've got so we've got the sunglasses coming out, and then we also have a watch or two that are coming out soon too that we're working on, and we're working on a special band that kind of mimics the watch a bit. Nice, Some cool watches from that. Yeah. So again, we always like to do something a little different and a little bit innovative, you know. Yeah. Now, as you see, um, you're seeing other very large brands start to make this type of wallet. Do you think uh, you're able to keep your story out there to talk about you are one of the first kind of movers and shakers in this space and in why you have superior product? 
Yeah, I mean, we always we're always looking for ways to innovate and just change a little bit. I think if you take if you add too much to it to certain products, it gets unappealing. You know, I, I don't think there's guys that want their wallet to do too much. There, there's a lot of wallets out there. I mean, Kickstarter is famous, for example, for wallets. They're just everywhere. And there's some, you know, there's all kinds of crazy hard ones that are made out of titanium and aluminum. And, you know, and so it's really, it's just, a, it's a personal taste on what you prefer, you know, on what you want. I, our wallets are made for guys that want to put them in their back pocket and sit on them. You know, they have to sit on their wallet. They don't, they don't want to always have to carry it or put it out on the desk. You know what I mean? If you've got like a hard wallet. So, but there's just so many types of wallets out there that we felt that the carbon fiber, we redesigned our own money clip. It would fit in the wallet that was slip that was slender and low profile so you could actually sit on it and you really wouldn't feel it so those kind of things that um those small things w that we would want to wear that's kind of what we chase i like that well very cool carl we'll direct people at coreessentials.com i definitely want to see what's going on in the sunglass arena pretty soon and it was really great to catch up with you this afternoon great i appreciate you guys uh john and brock having me on today i i really do and uh you guys ever want me to come on back again, just let me know. I'd be happy to talk about things. Always fun. Excellent. Well, thank you, Carl. We'll catch up with you soon. Thank you for listening to the Buttoned Up Podcast, a collaboration between John Shanahan of The Cavalier and Brock McGough of Modest Man, and we will see you next week.